All right, once you've wrapped up praying, go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. Study sheet from last week, if you got it, grab that. We'll continue from there. Um, if you need one, Carson will help you out. Carson will pass it. Keep your hands up if you need a handout. Um, but if you got yours from last week, grab the one from last week. <clears throat> All right, while Carson's passing those bad boys out, let's do a little bit of review. Now, from last week, this should be a no-brainer because we spent some time drilling you guys on it, so hopefully you guys get it. There are two passages in your Bible that you should go to whenever you have a conversation about the rapture. What are the two chapters? Jake, your hands up. I'm kidding. (laughs) First Thessalonians 4. Yep, First Thessalonians 4. What's the other one? 1 Corinthians 15. Those two. So what's the first one? 1 Thessalonians 4. Second one? 1 Corinthians 15. Good. So 1 Thessalonians 4 gives you the details about what? What do you remember from last week? It gives you the details about the... What happens? Yeah. More specifically. Now I need one. Oh, you don't have one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Carson passed him out and he doesn't have his own study sheet. All right, looks like we do need a copy. <laughs> yeah, we can make one. At least one for Carson. That's hilarious. The one person that passed him out doesn't have a copy. All right. <laughs> yeah. We're on... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so what does 1 Thessalonians 4 give you? What does it detail? Yeah, the timeline. Very good. The timeline of the rapture and what's going to occur. And 1 Corinthians 15 gives you what? The specific how it happens. Specifically how it happens and how everything unfolds. Very good, very good. Okay, so we'll just hit point number three just as a bit of a review. So we're just going to buzz through this. But this is the timeline of events starting in 1 Thessalonians 4. So we talked about how when the rapture occurs, the Lord Jesus Christ descends from heaven to the atmosphere of the earth in the clouds with a shout or a voice as a trumpet. This trumpet, this voice of God shall sound born-again believers out by name. And at the same time, the lost will hear thunder and we spent some time looking at different passages about that those that those asleep in christ those that have died that were born again and they died and they were buried in christ shall rise first with their glorified body so they were literally come up out of the grave and those of us that are not dead and we are alive at that time we will actually see them come up out of the grave and so were other people as well which is kind of freaky thing about and so they will rise first with their glorified bodies and they will ascend into the air. And then it says, those in Christ, letter D, that are alive and remain shall be changed instantly into their glorified bodies. The whole body of Christ, those that have previously died and those that are currently alive at this moment, uh, will meet Christ, meet the Lord in the air and forever be with the Lord. And then we talked about last week how after all these things occur, you have what's called the judgment seat of Christ. And that is where born again believers will give an account for the stewardship of the life that God's given them. People that are saved don't have to give an account for their sin any longer. Praise God for that, because we all would be completely guilty, and we all would fall short. But Christians that are born again, they do have to give an account for their life. And we spent, I mean, the entire lesson last week talking about that, talking about the motives of your heart 
And now everything that you do from the moment that you're saved afterward will either be the wood, hay, and stubble or the gold, silver, and precious stones. Now, based on that, we talked about last week. What's, what's the biggest thing that you took away from that personally from last week? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. It doesn't matter what you do if it's not for Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, things that you think might be completely meaningless, if you do them for the Lord, then it will actually mean something eternally. So when it comes to uh, even things that you love to do, and I think one of the big challenges we talked about last week is, you know, when it comes to things that you love to do, the things that you feel like gives you identity, there's a lot of people that they will throw themselves into sports They will throw themselves into academics. They will throw themselves into music. They will throw themselves into their work. They will throw themselves into all these things. But if you're doing those things for you and not for the Lord, it will amount to nothing eternally. So have a change of heart and a change of mind. Start doing those things as a way to glorify God. Now, just on a practical level, how can you glorify God in that thing that you throw yourself into? Whatever it might be. Yeah, no. Well, I just have a good attitude about it. Yeah. Sometimes it's not easy to have a good attitude at school, right? <laughs> a lot of times it's, it's very easy to just have a flat-out bad attitude. But if you go into it with a good attitude and you work hard, not for yourself, but because you want to serve God, it can actually mean something. What else? Yeah. Maintaining your testimony throughout yeah. good and bad times. Yeah. Yeah. You got that? Thanks, Bobby. Anybody else need one? <laughs> Yeah, maintaining your testimony. I've been in circumstances like because I've I've played the sports, I have done the musicals, I've done all that kind of stuff, and it's so easy to just go with the flow of everybody else and do things their way and just fit in, right? It's so easy just to fit in. But I'm telling you, if you are a Christian, born-again believer, and they even know about it, you will have an opportunity to stand out. You will have an opportunity to take a stand. I had, I had so many opportunities, whether it was in sports and, and, or even in the musicals or like one of the things that I purposed in my heart when it came to uh, when I ended up quitting sports and I had spent all my time doing um, singing and musicals and stuff like that is that I had an opportunity at the end of the year, we would have this three-hour concert and I know that I'd be singing a solo. So there's all sorts of songs that I could sing, but I chose to sing a song that would talk about Christ and my relationship with God. Why? I could have very easily picked another song that, could, that I could have sang really, really well, but why would I want to do that? Because you want to make people cry. Yeah, yeah, I was really going to make people cry. <laughs> because I wanted it to be an opportunity for me to talk about Christ and my relationship with God. I had a platform, and I'm going to use that platform for Him, not me. So what are you good at? What are the things in your life that you are good at that people look up to you for, and do you use that as a platform to honor and glorify God? You should. Not just because it's the right thing to do or it's the Christian thing to do. (laughs) God gave you that ability. He gave you that platform. Why not use it for him? He gave it to you. It's not for you. It's for him. That's how it should be, no matter what it is. So when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, hopefully... You do that with the right heart attitude and you do those things for him so that way those things that he gave you, those gifts and those abilities to do could be turned around, used for his honor and glory and actually mean something eternally. Because otherwise, what's the point? 
Like, if it's just for you, what, like, what's the end of that? Like, let's just run this through. I mean, it's easy to pick on sports. Let's just pick on sports because I've been there and I've used sports and I've played for myself. Let's just pick on that for a second. Let's say you're really, really good at sports. Like, Petey, you're really good at sports. If you do that for you, what's the end result of that? Potentially, but if you do it for you, not for the Lord. If you do it for you. Okay, so people will know you as a athlete, but then at the end of that, I mean, it could take you where? Okay, so you can go to college, you can get a scholarship, okay? And then it could take you where? Professional. Okay, and then out of being a professional athlete, you could do what? Okay, get money for yourself, right? Exactly. And then what's after that? After you retire, and then what's after that? You're dead. And then what? Okay, so all those worldly accomplishments, if it was for you, and there's nothing eternal, you get to heaven, and you might be standing like shoulder to shoulder with a person that maybe they weren't the best athlete in the world, but they were decent, and they played in high school, and they played with you on the team, but you were just outstanding, and you were able to go to college, professional sports, everything, and did all this kind of stuff, but they had a solid testimony, and they were witnessing to people. You stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you will get jack, while that person gets all these riches for eternally. You see what I'm talking about here? It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about him. You need to think about that. It's very important. All right, and then we talked about the crowns and how at the judgment seat of Christ, there's, a, there's the opportunity to get five different crowns in the Bible. <clears throat> the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of glory, and the incorruptible crown. And those are all based on those things that we talked about last week. Okay, <clears throat> so this takes us into number four. All right, so when you look at the overall, this is kind of cool. This gets into more of the doctrinal side of things. These are just interesting information. Um, but when you look at the overall thing, there are three phases of the rapture. So a lot of people, when they think of the rapture, they think of one part of the rapture. But there's actually three different parts of the rapture. And this is actually quite, quite interesting. Um, go ahead and open up to Deuteronomy 16.16. 16. Deuteronomy 16.16. 16. <clears throat> there's a pattern in the Bible. That is quite fascinating. What's that? Oh, nice. <laughs> it must be the Lord. All right. <laughs> Deuteronomy 16. All right. Now, this is quite interesting. Quite interesting. So we already talked about the rapture in general, but there are three parts to the rapture, and it correlates back in the Old Testament with this thing that God has placed here in Deuteronomy 16. Verse 16. Somebody read verse 16 for me. Go ahead. Sam. Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, in the feast of unleavened bread and in the feast of weeks, and, and in the feast of tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. Okay. Now, this is quite interesting. So, the, these times a year, three times within a year, the males are supposed to appear before God, and it correlated with three different feasts. You had the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, what's very interesting about this is that these three feasts line up with the main harvest time of the Jewish people. So, the Feast of Unleavened Bread lines up with what's called the first fruits. The first fruits. Now, what does that term mean, first fruits? 
Yes, whoo, genius. Yes, the first of the fruits. Okay, so whenever you're growing anything in a garden, in a field or whatever, there's the first things that pop up out of the ground, okay? You take those things and anything that came out of the ground that was the first fruits, the first part of it, you were supposed to take that and offer it unto the Lord as a sacrifice, as an offering, okay? And then after the first fruits, then you would have the main harvest. Now, the main harvest would take place with the Feast of Weeks. Now, the main harvest, that's just, that's the main deal, okay? So when you, if you have an entire field of wheat or an entire field of, of whatever, you would go out and you'd harvest that wheat and you'd harvest the main chunk of everything in that field. And then the last part, the Feast of Tabernacles, lines up with the gleanings. Now, what are gleanings? What are gleanings? Noah. The donuts you make with the wheat. Say that one more time. The donuts you make with the wheat. The donuts you make with the wheat? Yes. Okay. That's glaze. <laughs> yeah. yeah, gleanings, gleanings, not glazed donuts. Yes, gleanings, the gleanings. What are the gleanings? Yeah. The leftovers. Yes, the things that are left over. Things that are left over. The things that are left over that you make donuts with. Yes, that's what we'll say. Yeah. The things that are left over. So after you pass through the field, there's more that you could get, but you don't go and get that. And if you remember back with like, um, uh, who was it? Uh, It was um, Ruth. It was with Ruth. That she was allowed to go into the field after the harvesters came through and she was allowed to pick out of the gleanings. Okay? So there's three aspects of the rapture, and this is quite interesting. So the first thing here is the first fruits. Go to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Matthew 27. All right, so according to what the scriptures say, who is the first fruit of the first fruits? Anybody know that one? Before anybody else can rise from the dead, who has to rise from the dead first? Jesus, yes, the canned Sunday school answer, Jesus, absolutely. So Jesus has to rise first because he has to defeat sin and death. Very simple, very logical. He has got to defeat sin and death first, and then he can rise out of the grave. And because he rises out of the grave, so can we. It's very simple. I mean, the Bible talks about this. This is not uh, anything that's too, too complicated. So in Matthew 27, take a look at this. This is a verse that maybe you've read over a few times, but when you, when you really get it, you're like, my goodness, I've never seen that before. Verse 50, Matthew 27, verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. So he's on the cross, and this is when he dies. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And then look at this. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Did you know that? Like when Jesus died and the rocks rent, when he came up out of the grave, there were people that rose with him and went into the city and talked with people as Jesus did for 40 days before he ascended up into heaven. Do you ever know that? That's exactly what it says. Look at it again. 52. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Can you imagine that? Like, just, just picture this for a second, okay? Now, I have my theory about who these people are, and I won't get into that. Take JBI, and I'll tell you, you know, that in my class, okay? Uh, next year. So you'll get it, Bobby. All right. <laughs> so these people that died, so picture for a second. You've got... 
Like anyone. Okay, so like Jesus is ministering. He spends three and a half years ministering in Jerusalem. And while he's ministering, there's certain people that died and that he rose again from the dead. You know, you've got that young man that died. Uh, Lazarus died. There's different people like that. Say that happens with somebody else. So like, let's say, for example, um, Peter. Okay, so he has a cousin. We don't know this. I'm just making this up. This cousin died and he died a week before Jesus did. And this cousin was a follower of Christ believe that Christ was the Messiah, okay? And so when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, his cousin also rose from the dead and went back to his house and talked to his mom. This stuff happened all over the place. Can you imagine what people would have thought? You're kidding me. Like, you're, you just, you died last week. How could you even be here? Jesus. What do you mean? Well, he died and he rose again from the dead and I rose with him. He rose first and I came after him and I came here to talk to you about it. What? Did you ever know this is in your Bible? This is fascinating. People have read over this passage. I can't tell you how many times. I've read over this passage so many times and I've never seen those verses. I don't know how. I don't know why. This is the first fruits. The first fruits. When Christ rose from the dead, you had the first fruits. Now, it doesn't say what happens to these people after it could have been like Lazarus where he rose from the dead and then they, he died again. So they could have just roamed the earth for however many days and they could have just died again. Or they could have ascended up into heaven when Jesus did. In Acts chapter 1, we have no idea. But those are the first fruits. Pretty cool, huh? All right, so that's that one. That's the first fruits. And then you have the harvest. And we already talked about that out of 1 Corinthians 15. That's where it says, In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump, uh, that we shall be changed. In the First Thessalonians 4, we've already gone through that in weeks past, where Christ descends, and then he calls us out by name, and we meet him with those that were dead in Christ in the air, and then we shall forever be with the Lord. And we talked about Revelation 4.1 already, where that door in heaven is opened, and uh, Christ called John and said, come up hither, same thing. Now, let me show you this passage. Go to Song of Solomon chapter 2. <clears throat> we did a study, I think it was last year, on Song of Solomon, if not last year, it was uh, about a year and a half ago. But we did Song of Solomon, and we hit this this one in detail when we went through it. But Song of Solomon, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, chapter 2. So Song of Solomon is a, devotionally and also doctrinally, it is a picture of Jesus Christ with the church. And so here you have in this chapter 2 a very interesting passage that shows you the rapture of the church. Verse 8. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of the birds is come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with her tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. So here you have this man, this is Jesus, and he is speaking to his love, and he tells his love, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. But what's interesting about this is when you see this from the perspective of the rapture, look at verse 9 again. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, 
He standeth behind our wall. What is that? Where is Jesus right now? Up in heaven. And what separates the third heaven from the second heaven? The sea of glass. The sea of glass. That is the wall. He's standing behind the wall. And then look what it says next. He looketh forth at the window, showing himself through the lattice. What is that? Was that? The North Star. Yes, that is my opinion. That's the North Star. Now, from the perspective, okay, if we were to tra- take a rocket, travel millions of light years or however long it is away, and you were to go and you were to be right in front of the sea of glass, okay? So I envision it something like this. I'm probably way off, but whatever. <laughs> but this is how I envision it. And there is... There is a door, and that door has a keyhole, and I believe that there is a window in that door, because in Revelation 4.1, what does it say? What does it say in Revelation 4.1? All right, I'll read it. Ready? Listen to this. After this, I look, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Song of Solomon 2. He standeth behind our wall, and looketh forth at the window, showing himself through the lattice. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Do you see it? It's right there. Compare scripture to scripture, and you get it. So here, this is my opinion. Can't really prove this, but this is my opinion. The North Star is this. The window. I think it's the window in the door to heaven. And I think that that's God on the other side of it. That's just my opinion. Can't prove it. Won't be able to prove it until I get there. But I think it's that. And I think that he comes through here and he looks through that window and he sees what's going on beyond it because he knows what's going on in the earth. But he's going to open up this door one day. And when he opens up that door, then he's going to be able to call everybody out. See it? I love it. I love it. I love the Bible. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And then he also gives the timing, which is quite fascinating. He says, for lo, the winter is past and the rain is over and gone. And talks about flowers and talks about vegetation. So it's quite likely that the rapture could take place uh, sometime during the spring, which is quite fascinating. All right, so there's that. That is the harvest. And then lastly, you've got the gleanings. Lastly, you've got the gleanings. Um, now, you have the first fruits we already talked about, and you got the harvest, which is the body of Christ, which we've already talked about. But now we've got the gleanings. So this is pretty interesting. Go over to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation 7. <clears throat> Okay, so now you have uh, verses 1 through basically 8, 
Um, you have the ceiling of the 144,000, and so those are the male Jewish virgin witnesses that go out throughout the entire earth during the tribulation, and they're witnessing to people and telling the truth of, of God to people. And people are coming to the Lord based on their testimony. And then it says in verse 9, look at this. After this, so after they do their work and they do their ministry in the earth, after this I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and, and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces in worship saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, Look at this carefully. These are they which, what is that? Came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple and, and he and he that sitteth on the th- on the throne shall dwell among them and they shall hunger no more neither sh- neither thirst any more neither shall the sun light on them nor heat nor any heat for the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes so there's a group of people in the midst of the tribulation came out they came out of great tribulation So that means during the tribulation, at the tail end, there's going to be a rapture. During the tribulation, there's going to be a rapture of people that come out of the the rapture and they are taken up into heaven. It's quite fascinating. Now look at this. Let's keep going to another one. Go to chapter 14. You see that one there? Let's go over to Revelation 14. Revelation 14, verse 14. And I looked and beheld a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Okay, that is a harvest right there. But then look what happens next. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power of fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse's bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Whoop. Okay, so you got two events here, two sickles being thrusted in. One comes in, takes them out. The other one comes in and takes them and they're thrown into judgment and they all die. That's what happens. This is what happens at the very end. At the very end of the tribulation, you have a rapture that takes certain people out. And then the other ones, they are completely decimated by the Lord Jesus Christ out of Revelation 19. Okay? All right, go back to chapter 11. And just to show you that there is also this rapture towards the end of the tribulation, you have the two witnesses in Revelation 11. 
And so they are witnessing like crazy. And then the Antichrist finally has power over them and is able to kill them. And it says that their bodies are going to be, in verse 9, uh, everyone's going to see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. So for three and a half days, their bodies are just going to lie in the street and everybody's going to rejoice over them. So it says in verse 10, And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. But then look at this, 11. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, there it is again, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. So the same event. So at the same time that the two witnesses are called up is the same time that everybody else who are gods during the tribulation are also called up as well into heaven. All right. All this makes sense so far? Okay. All right. A lot of people miss this. A lot of people miss this. A ton of people miss this. All right. So this is what happens. And the reason why this happens is because God, what he ends up doing is that you end up having the first fruits. Bam. Then you got the harvest. Bam. But then you got the gleanings at the very end. And what God does in his mode of how he does everything, I mean, think about it for a second. We've talked about this as a church. Before Laodicea is over and you have the tribulation occur, he calls everyone home. He takes his people out and then he has great judgment upon the earth. Same thing during the tribulation. You have the tribulation, which is massively difficult, but God still is witnessing to people. And before the very end, before it is too late and God wipes everybody out, he calls everybody else home. This is what he does. That's his pattern. That's his pattern. All right, there's more I could talk about that, but we just don't have the time to do it. But that is something that I have always been very fascinated about. You've got the first fruits, the harvest, and then the gleanings. Any questions on those ones? Everybody got it? Okay. All right. You have to think about that one for a little while. But there's a whole bunch more passages that I have on your guys' study sheet that you guys could take a look at on that one. All right. Um, The last thing that I want to talk about here real quick is um, um, is I wanted to mention a little bit about our glor- the glorified body. So, um, so we're going to wrap up the whole series on the rapture, and there's just two things that I want to end with. And so give me some readers so we can, we can bust through this real quick. All right, so one, two, let's see how many do I need. One, two, three, four, five, six. I'll need six. So one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, so go ahead and take a look up Luke 24, 36 through 40. Uh, two, go Luke 24, verse 16. And then uh, who had three? Okay, do Luke 24, 41 through 43. And then who had the next one? I think, Jack, did you have that? I don't think I gave you one, Kent. Did I give you one? I don't think I did. Did I? I couldn't tell. I think I did Jack. We'll go with Jack. All right, Jack, go ahead and take uh, Luke 24, 36. And then uh, John 20, 26. Who had that one? You go ahead and take John twenty twenty six, and then Noah, go ahead and take, um, let's see here. Um, you know what, Noah, don't go ahead and take yours. We'll just do this one instead. Everyone go to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. So everybody else turn to Revelation 19. All right, so we talked about the rapture, and I want to end with this. I want to end with this. When you are raptured, those of you that are born again, when God comes back and he gets you and he takes you home, you're going to have what's called a glorified body. And so I wanted to end with this. I wanted to end with... What does that body look like? 
How does it function? And what kind of new thing are you going to have? Because it's going to be completely different from your body. There's going to be some similarities, but what does that glorified body look like? And so the passage that I wanted to hit on this one is, um, let me read this passage to you real quick, and then we'll read some of these other characteristics. All right, so in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, it says this. Listen to this. It says, and I like to read verse 20, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So when we see Christ, when he, we come face to face with him, he's going to change our vile body and it's going to be fashioned like unto his glorious body. So your body that you have right now, when you're called out, your body is going to be completely changed. Like 1 Corinthians 15 talks about in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, your body is going to be changed. So how is it going to be a change? All right. So the first point that I want to talk about is that it has the same appearance as a human body. Okay. Has the same overall appearance as a human body. Listen to Luke 24, 36 through 40. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. Okay, go ahead and stop there. So he's got flesh and he's got bones. He stands before them and he has his appearance, but they're freaked out because they think he's just some sort of a ghost. Now, why do you think he, they think he's a ghost? Good. He's what? Well, it doesn't say that, so we can't. We might assume that, but we don't know. So, because it doesn't say that, we don't. We won't put that in there. But why do we think that it's a ghost? Think about it. They're in a place, and then it says, "Okay, he had already died for sure." But there's something in there that, that makes you think that it's a ghost. You know, he just appeared. Bam. He just showed up like they're together. And all of a sudden he just shows up. I mean, what person can do that? If you're going to come into this room, what do you have to do? You got to walk through the door. Well, what if the door shut and like you're standing like, let's say you've got a circle of friends and you're just talking. <laughs> Boom. Someone just pops up right in front of you. <laughs> I mean, you'd be freaking out. And so you're thinking, this has got to be a ghost or something. How do you explain this? And he's like, don't freak out. And this is the Stephen version. Don't freak out. It's me. Just touch my hands, my feet. See, I got flesh and bones. Stop freaking out. It's me. All right? That's Jesus. I'm totally blessing. My apologies, God. All right? So, all right. So that's what happened. So they thought it was a ghost. So he has the same appearance as the human body. All right? So the next thing I want to talk about this. He can change, or your glorified body, that you can change the form or the appearance of that body. Listen to Luke 24, 16. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. So Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus with two guys. He was walking with them. They knew Jesus. They knew what he looked like. They knew what he sounded like. They didn't know who this guy was. So he changed his appearance and hid his identity from them. So he had the ability to change his appearance. I think that's kind of cool. So you'll be able to change your appearance one day. All right. Do a little, what, Mission Impossible. All right. And then you have the ability to consume food and drink. Luke 24, 41 through 43. Fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before 
Okay, so you're still gonna be able to eat. Yes. So in your glorified body, you're gonna be able to eat as much as you want, I'm sure, right? So that's gonna be part of it. Yeah, that's right. So you still have the ability to consume food and drink. Praise the Lord for that one. Letter D on my sheet I've got. Um, Luke twenty four thirty six. Listen to this one. Okay, so this is where we were just talking about. So this body has the ability to materialize at will and walk through solid objects. Yes, I can't wait. I love that. He just appeared. Boom, he's there. Now this is going to come into play. This is going to be very, very important. Because imagine for a second. Imagine all the things that you do in any given day. Has there been anything that you've done that if Jesus showed up in that moment, you'd be embarrassed? Yes. Okay, all right. Me too. We've all been in that situation. Now, let me tell you something here real quick. In the future, in the millennial reign, when you have a glorified body, one of the tasks that we're going to have as born-again believers is to be doing God's will throughout his entire kingdom. There are going to be people alive during the millennium that are not following God's will. And you're going to have the ability to show up in the moment when they are not following God's will and to be able to confront them. How freaky is that? That's pretty amazing. <laughs> because we're supposed to be, be carrying out God's will. All right. Just side, side, side note. Okay. And then uh, John twenty twenty six. Okay, so that's kind of a similar passage. And so not only can you materialize and walk through solid objects, but you can transport through space at will. And we also see in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus ascends up into heaven. So he has the ability to basically defy all form of physics and gravity and all that kind of stuff. And pretty much can do whatever. All right, and then lastly, in Revelation 19, I wanted you to, sh- I wanted you to see this. So everyone's in Revelation 19. And we'll end on this point. So the glorified body, the glorified body. So verse 11 it says, I saw in heaven, uh, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness doth he judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which, which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That's us. That's us. And so here you have... Yeah, try again in a moment. All right. <laughs> so you have you have in heaven, there's Jesus, and then there's us. And this door is going to be opened again, and we're going to follow him out of heaven through space, traveling through space back down to the earth. So this glorified body has the ability to exist in outer space freely. Like, you'd be able to breathe. Like, why can't we go to outer space right now and breathe? Why can't we? There's no oxygen. So your body is based on is you're an oxygen-based life form okay and the, and the reason is is why somebody tell me why do you need oxygen to survive so yes yeah, so you can breathe but why do you need oxygen because oxygen goes into your bloodstream. your bloodstream and it carries that oxygen throughout your entire body so this new body is not going to have blood it can't how can it because your blood is dependent upon oxygen. It's going to have something different. I don't know what that is, but it's not going to be blood. Because you're going to have the ability to transport through space and breathe and be completely fine. 
right. Anyway, okay, we'll end with there. All right, so that's a little bit about the glorified body. We could talk more about that, but those are some of the really neat things. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. I pray that we would take these things to heart and really see that your book is absolutely amazing. We love you very much. And I pray that we would do your will this week, that we would use the opportunities that we have to glorify you and uh, really just do whatever you want us to do and be faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.